Welcome to the Midcast, presented by the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each month we will look at some of the key issues for mission in Scotland today. We'll bring you experienced voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the mission of the church in Scotland. Thanks for taking the time to download the Midcast. My name's Glenn Innes. We are looking forward to another of our, I guess, COVID conversations with uh, pastors and leaders who are thinking and practicing uh, what it is to do church in the midst of our current situation. Today, I'm delighted to say we have Scott Brennan from Lighthouse Church in Preston Pans, just outside Edinburgh. And Scott has a, a been a huge influence in me in the last few years, particularly as it relates to how the church engages in mission and as how individuals engage in evangelism. So I thought it'd be great to hear from him about how things are going with him and his thoughts on mission and evangelism in this time. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us here on the Midcast. Uh, you are the team leader at Lighthouse Church uh, in Preston Pans, just outside Edinburgh. You do some consultancy with the Church of Scotland. You are a, is it a coach with Forge or you're a trainer with Forge. You have many strings to your bow. Uh, it is great for you to take some of this time. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank, thank you. Um, yeah, it's good to be with you. It's good. So, uh, Scott, <laughs> how how are things in Preston Pans at the moment? Um, well, obviously, we're living in a strange time with coronavirus and lockdown. But interestingly, in Preston Pans, Preston Pans is a is a it's quite a strong community. Traditionally, it's a sort of a mining community, but obviously, with the mines closed down, there was a a difference in the sense of you know who's who's part of this community and who's not and they've built a lot of new houses around the town so there has been a bit of a them and us but what's been fascinating with coronavirus is it's created like this new sense of togetherness mm-hmm. so um there is there's a community council there's a, a resilience group and the churches and a lot of the third sector agencies have come together and are are working hard to do like food deliveries and make sure that people are okay. So it's a, it's a funny mix of things. Yeah, good. Um, and h- how are you guys at Lighthouse uh, getting on at, uh, in terms of uh, worship and, and discipleship, pastoral care? How, how's that all going? Well, I suppose um, what we did is as soon as we saw... Lighthouse has two charities that are set up. There's a, a church and a a community projects charity. So we have uh, five five staff of a team that I lead. And some of those people are community outreach workers. One of them's a CAP centre manager. We've got a cafe manager. There's various things going on. So we've actually got a, the building's open four days a week interacting with the community. So with the lockdown, all of that had to close down. Um, and then, And in terms of church, obviously we can't, gather together like we normally would so we've done two things basically in terms of the community project we've um, released some of our people into furlough and they're now working with the community council and in terms of uh, discipleship uh, church mission and all those kind of things every single person has been 
um, allocated to a small group who's in the congregation. So you're talking about sort of 70 odd adults plus kids and each one is now in a small group. And what's been great uh, from my perspective is that um, probably 80% of the church are now in small groups, which is a delight for someone like myself. In terms of uh, sort of Sunday worship, what we've done is we've set up a Be Live account. We've done um, public worship. And then straight after that, we have a Zoom meeting where we do much more of a pastoral discipleship type thing. So we're kind of experimenting. I'm sure churches are the same all over the country. You're right. Everybody's experimenting. And partly why it's great to hear these different stories of what people are doing kind of sparks ideas for other people. Uh, we not yeah. altogether sure how long we're going to be in this situation. So uh, that's great. I mean, th- the main reason for getting you on today, Scott, is you are probably one of our clearest thinkers in terms of mission and evangelism, and not just a thinker, but a practitioner as well. And uh, so I, I'm really interested to speak with you about how you think we can do evangelism and mission in this strange time when we are socially distanced and uh, not able to gather in big groups where I think we've wrought, often our evangelism for many of us has been thought of as, well, if we just bring people to church, then the minister or this, the, the preacher will tell them about Jesus. So that's not an option right now. So, so uh, where, do we, where do we begin that conversation? So just how, how do you think we might go about doing evangelism and mission or what are you doing? Uh, in this space? Sure. Um, well, I've actually, I've been writing a blog personally called Voice of the Evangelists and addressing some of these subjects. Uh, for me, I think this is probably one of the best opportunities the church has in, in the UK that it's had for many, many years. I don't know if many of your listeners have uh, tapped into what someone like Russell Brand is saying, but I'm, I'm a great believer that there are prophetic voices out there. There are, there are people asking big questions who are not part of the church. Um, and perhaps even God is using them. So someone like Russell Brown, Brand just recently, he, he's just done a video uh, vlog, um, which is titled, why, why the hell are people Googling prayer? Which, forgive me for, yeah. for the language, but that's his, that's his, his vlog. Yeah, and there's been some res- some research done by uh, uh, an academic at the University of Copenhagen that the trend on Google is that 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 more people are googling prayer than nearly anything else. They're, they're actually googling the word prayer, wow. and this is all across the world globally. And in the UK, it's exactly the same. And there's also research coming out that uh, I think it was a tier tier fund research found. And this is a surprising figure. Something like 25% of the population have tapped into some kind of online church service. So what you've got is a a rapid shift culturally in what probably a year ago people were not Googling prayer and people were not connecting to church in any way, whether it was physical or online. So something dramatic has changed. Um, I think the reasons for that are fairly obvious that well, two things, you know, when you've got uh, in the news talking about, you know, a, pand- a global pandemic, well, what that does is it, it puts people in touch with their own mortality. Yeah. 
Um, and then pastorally, so that's a philosophical question. And then, and then pastorally, you have people who know of friends and relatives and work colleagues who have died of coronavirus. And then the third thing is that just the atmosphere of fear and anxiety is creating a shift in people's focus. And so, so people are asking questions like, where do I find peace? You know, what does hope look like? And how do I pray? And where do you go when you die? And so these kind of issues have been pushed right to the surface, whereas before they were probably quite dormant. And so I would say culturally, we're in a very different time. Um, and the church definitely has an opportunity to do something about it. So I think that's kind of where your question is aimed at. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And um, I mean, so we've got this cultural shift going on that uh, it makes people at, at very least more open to having conversations about these things. Um, I guess if we were talking angle scale, they've shifted a bit, you know, like, like they're they're moving uh, in, in a direction, not necessarily a gospel direction at this point. And I guess that becomes the challenge for the church. How do we then meet that cultural shift um, in a way that is, um, well, I guess, effective is, uh, and fruitful? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what thoughts do you have on that? So, you know, it's interesting to hear you mention the Engel scale there. I'm not, not sure if, if your listeners are familiar with the Engel scale, but he, he was basically a, a, a sort of sociologist who, who studied, you know, the way that people think and particularly um, spirituality and religious ideas. And he kind of created this scale of a sort of minus 10 to zero. And zero was people come to faith in Christ. They, they fully understand what the gospel means and they accept Christ. And then their growth is then a sort of plus one to plus 10 in terms of maturity. And, and what he did is he, he looked at Western cultures and he scaled where are the majority of people grouping on that scale. And obviously in the UK, the figures are something like four or 5% of people would say that they are church attending Christians. Yeah. So that means that 95% of people are not. Yeah. And the reality, in my observation, is that the church tends to only have a limited toolkit in terms of evangelism. And what they tend to do is put all their eggs in one or two baskets, primarily around things like Alpha and Christianity Explored. Now, there's nothing wrong with these things. They're great, brilliant tools. But if we're on honest, Alpha and Christianity Explorers probably taps into, in Engel scale terms, sort of minus two, minus one. In other words, people who are already asking questions yeah. are already looking into things like why pray, why church? Um, who is the Holy Spirit is one of the questions yeah. in the Alpha course. It's a great question. But in terms of our culture and where people are sitting on the Engel scale, I would say that the majority of people, probably at least 50% of people or more, are kind of minus six, minus five. And, and what that means is that they're actually distracted. Mm. They're, not, they're not asking who is God questions. Mm. Um, they're just getting on with their work. They're, they're, they're you know, just doing life in the West. And, and because our culture is so secular, these questions are not out there in the public domain. Yeah. But my, my view would be that um, what coronavirus has done and the things I mentioned earlier has pushed people into a different zone. So... Uh, they are asking, you know, 
you know, how do I pray? You know, the fact that Google is getting so many requests for prayer shows that they're asking the sort of philosophical questions, they're asking the big questions. Um, so I suppose what the church needs to do is, is, is under, the first thing it needs to do is recognize the majority of people are at that sort of minus six, minus five stage. Yeah. And what, what message can the church give to people who are in that zone who are just beginning to do entry-level questions around spirituality? Um, and so that in itself is another question. What my view is we need to answer the questions that people are asking yeah, um, and not try and answer the questions that they're not asking. Or, or um, the ones so that we would example, like them to be asking. Well, I'll give you a good example. I like I'm pretty active on my Facebook page. I, I use Facebook. Basically, whenever I post anything on Facebook, I think to myself, what would the minus six, minus five, minus four people be asking and thinking about? Okay. Now, re recently, I started to ask this question around, you know, if God was real and God existed, what would kind of God would he be? Okay. And the, the conversation was like, you know, when someone says to you, I don't believe in God, I then say to them, well, which God do you not believe in? Yeah. And so what it does is it opens up the conversation around people have got these ideas of who God is and what he's like, but actually they're probably a false God. And so what I say to them is something like, well, if that's the God you believe in, I'm an atheist too, because I don't believe in that God. Yeah. Now, this Facebook, this Facebook post was going on, and then suddenly these three probably well-meaning Christians started to have a chat about predestination on my uh, stream, on, you know, on, my, on my comments. Yeah. So, so I said to them, guys, like I privately messaged them and said, guys, you know, use your own forums to have this conversation because really what you're doing is you're not really focusing on what the people who are engaging in this question are focused on. You're not answering the question they're asking. So I think that's probably one of the keys, Glenn, is that could we discern what are the real questions that people out there are asking and then how do we communicate our understanding of that? I mean, there's a couple of brilliant things in there, Scott. The first is, you know, it sounds like profoundly important that we listen before we speak, because otherwise we're going to be answering Absolutely. the wrong questions. Uh, and then the other is yeah. that there's something about, um, there's a humility in the way that you're trying to address that, that it's not about saying, I'll listen, I'll hear your question, and then here's the answer. It's about uh, embracing that question and allowing them to further develop their their understanding of that. So, you, you know, the, the I guess classically responding to their question with another question, you know, what God do you believe in? And actually, that's good. That's good Christology, because uh, if you think course. about it, Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't um, always give an answer. In fact, he was probably quite mysterious and profound, you know. And yeah. whereas, particularly in the event evangelical world we have quite a black and white view of what's true and what's not true what's right and what's wrong and what we're trying to do is correct people's wrong theology yeah um whereas in fact what jesus tended to do was to try and reveal the father and so his his evangelistic kind of methodology was well how do i reveal the father to this person what what does the kingdom of god look like to a blind man or to a woman caught in the act of adultery or a tax collector that everybody hates you know, Jesus gave a different response to the different need of every individual. He didn't give them a sort of canned answer uh, 
to a question that they weren't asking. <laughs> and yet that's a lot of our evangelistic um, take. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's obviously a group of people for whom Alpha Christianity Explored and the various other kind of programs like that, that are going to be really helpful for. And then there's this other group of people yes, that we need to be engaging with. And I'm presuming most of that, if it's coming through Facebook, it is there's some relational connection. You know, it may be a tentative Facebook relational connection, but there's some relational connection when that conversation's happening. Is that fair? Is that an important part of the... Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, what, what I try to do, I can only speak from my own experience, but what I try to do is be authentic. And so I, I'm trying to be my authentic self. So when I put stuff on Facebook, I'm, I'm provoking the question that maybe a minus six or a minus five would ask, but I'm also being myself. And I'm yeah. saying things like, I am a Christian. You know, this is my view, but he, here's how it looks in my life. This is how it works out in my life. And so what people feel, and I know it's a bit artificial, but they feel like they have some kind of connection with who you are as a person. And I suppose for me, that's good Christology as well, because if you think about um, the, the blind man who called out to, to Jesus, he didn't know Jesus, but he'd heard about Jesus. Mm. And he heard about who Jesus was and what he was like. So he kind of had something to hold on to. So when Jesus actually passed by, he shouted out to him, you know, son of David, have mercy on me, because he expected Jesus to do a certain thing. Yeah. Now, what I love about that story is, and this is a bizarre question for a blind man, Jesus goes up to him and says, what can I do for you? He didn't automatically assume what the need of the man was. Mm. And I think that's one of our evangelistic tools and one of our evangelistic keys is that, like you said earlier, we need to listen. We need to actually say, well, what, what is it? that you want what is it that i can do for you instead of just arriving with you know what we think is the answer okay so i i can imagine people sitting listening to this and saying yeah that's great scott that's uh, i i buy into all of that you know that that makes perfect sense and but the truth is i'm just not really that kind of person you know, I, I you know, I, I know a little bit about Scott Brennan. He he's that pioneer church planter evangelist kind of bloke. Uh, I, that's all well and good for you, but I, I don't think I could ever do that. Folk, yeah. folk, how would you respond to that? I think the first thing I would say is that when you look at Ephesians four eleven, and there is a that passage talks about uh, a fivefold ministry: the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. And that the role of those gifts are to equip the church for works of service. So the first thing I would say is, and I, I probably score strongly as an list, my job is, is not necessarily to do the work of evangelism, but to equip the church to do the work of evangelism. My job is to be an evangelist. So I actually am meant to model things and trial and test things so that people can look at that and say, oh my goodness, that, that is useful or that's helpful, or I might be able to reproduce something similar. The, the problem is that when people um, look at an evangelist and say, well, that's not me, and then they, they disqualify themselves from doing the work of evangelism. So what I would say is that I, I believe that every single person uh, can bring someone to a knowledge of Jesus by being themselves. And 
And if you use the FIFO typology, um, the question I would ask is, well, how does a shepherd win someone into the kingdom? Well, the answer for me is that they love them well. They, they shepherd them into the kingdom. And so, for example, you know, someone might be um, unwell or someone might be anxious. And what a shepherd might do is serve them in a way that serves that need. So I'll, I'll, I'll give an example of that. I'm, when, um, when the lockdown happened and when the coronavirus hit, I started a mindfulness group because I recognized that a lot of people would be struggling with anxiety and just their mental health would take a, a hit. And, and uh, I've, I've now actually got nine people in that group and three people who are, are not there every week, but who are connected into it, who are not Christians. And I'm very clearly speaking about mindfulness from a Christian tradition. Um, so that's a shepherding approach. Mm. If, if, you, if you thought, I'm not a teacher, I'm not an evangelist, but I am a teacher. Well, how did a teacher bring someone into the kingdom of God? Well, it's a kind of no-brainer, isn't it? They would teach them into the kingdom of God. Or, or how would a prophet, prophetic person, bring someone to the kingdom of God? Well, they would probably be interested in issues of justice or, or have insights for that person's life that, that would then show them an example of the kingdom. So my view is that there's actually not that many people who are, if you like, mature and experienced evangelists um, and those that are should be given a place in the church in order that they can train people to do the work of evangelism and it doesn't matter what your strengths or weaknesses are everyone can uniquely do that in their own way brilliant i i, I love that it's, it's very freeing um because we don't need to be like scott or whomever the evangelist person we know is my uh, my wife would be my wife would agree with that, Glenn. She thinks there's only room for one. Uh, but it, it, it's it's enormously freeing because it it means that we can just be ourselves. We don't have to pretend. That I guess this goes back to the uh, the authenticity point you were making earlier that that we don't we don't suddenly put on a different hat when we start having a conversation with someone about Jesus. Actually. We just be ourselves, tell what we know in the way that God has wired us to tell it. Yeah, and that's, that's very post-millennial as well. And, and um, the millennials, I mean, are you know, they're looking for story, they're looking for authenticity, they're looking for spirituality. And they can, they, they're like a dog with fear. They can smell something when it's not real. Um, so I, I think the kind of, you know, that sort of TV evangelist, the sort of artificial hyped up thing, it really doesn't work, especially with the younger ones, because they're looking for something that's authentic. They're also looking for something that's more about a journey. Um, so that's much more my approach. Okay. Um, if you were to recommend, if somebody's listening to this and saying, okay, right, I really need to, yes, this is a cultural moment. Yes, I know there are opportunities. I'm not really sure how I engage that. Would you have a resource or a, a, a book or a you know, whatever that you could recommend to someone that was just looking for a bit of a an encouragement in this area? Well, this is the strange thing is that this is such a brand new season that I'm not sure there is a book that's written yet. I think I think I think people are asking the question, what does church look like yeah. post COVID? And lots of us are saying I hope we don't go back to what a default position. Um, 
So I think probably practically one of the best things we can do, especially if we're using social media, is just have boldness or confidence to share our story. Okay. Um, I, I, on the, the Baptist Union prayer thing on Sunday night at seven, um, just at the weekend there, they had ex lots of examples um, of people just saying, look, on Facebook, I've become more confident at sharing how Jesus ties into my life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key. Just be yourself and tell your story. Yeah. Um, and don't try anything fancy, you know, make it as basic as that. Because at the, at the end of the day, what people are looking for is peace and hope. And if you can just share some of your story, then that's the best thing you can do. Yeah, that is, Scott, that's brilliant, brilliant advice. Um, so we look forward to having a bombardment of Facebook posts to people just being really honest about the fact that Jesus matters to them, that the, that the church is significant in their lives, these sorts of things that perhaps... Yeah people have just hidden away before. The issue for me is like, it's not that we don't have good news. It's just that we don't know how to communicate it. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the problem is that the, the, the church has done a, a, a very poor PR job. If you like, you know, it's, it's often been seen as something that stands against something rather than something that stands for something. And so I think if we could clearly communicate, what do we stand for? We stand for, jesus and this is who jesus is and we do it in a way that reflects who we are as individuals then i think that's very powerful brilliant scott i i think that's maybe a good place just to kind of pause this because we i think you and i could talk about this all day but i think there's probably enough there for folks to uh to chew on um i wonder just uh, one last question for you um a little less intense and serious but how how are you passing the time uh, in this lockdown, what are you doing with yourself? So I, I would um, self-describe as a, a social introvert. Okay. Um, so I like people, but I also like being on my own. I'm a, a member of the community of Aden and Hilda, which is a, a Celtic Christian community. And so we love things like solitude, silence, prayer. Um, and so lockdown for me hasn't been too hard, to be honest with you. I've quite enjoyed it. Um, I'm also a, an artist, so I have to paint. Okay. And so I've, I've spent quite a lot of time painting. And actually, um, Faith and I have I've quite enjoyed being together. We've we found that our our prayer life has improved, and and we, we've read books that we meant to read that we didn't have time for. And I I have heard some people, particularly church leaders, saying that they were busy busier now more than ever really understand that i think this is a it's almost like a moment where we could go a bit deeper with god so i've had a combination of some really nice book reading uh painting and and prayer so it's been a, a lovely mix brilliant and uh, you made the mistake of mentioning that you were doing some book reading so um what what have you read that's worth reading <laughs> I, I, the one that I would recommend is, like, I'm, I'm a bit of a bookaholic, so um, the one that I would recommend at the moment is a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yeah. John um, Mark Comer. Which, yeah, he, you know, he was a sort of, he was a classic megachurch pastor, and if, if we make growth and bigness our metrics for success, he had all of those things. He got to a point where he was like, Do you know what? This is all fairly superficial. 
and he sort of gave it up. And, and even as a younger man, he was in his early 30s, went back to local church, community, rhythms of prayer, and asked what really matters and, you know, why are we so driven? Um, and that book, it's a quote of Dallas Willard. Um, that book really sums it up wonderfully. Brilliant. Wow, that's a great uh, recommendation. We'll stick a link to that in the show notes and to your uh, to your web, uh, blog as well, Scott. Listen, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're it. welcome, Glenn. We'll speak to you soon. Huge thank you to Scott for taking time to speak with us. I hope you found that helpful and that you are fired up about mission and evangelism. We'll have another episode next week where we have Peter Linus from the Evangelical Alliance with us. And yeah, if you've got questions for us, if you've got topics you'd like us to consider, guests you'd like us to get on, please do get in touch uh, with us. Uh, easiest way is on Twitter, at BUSMIGCAST, or through the Baptist Union website at scottishbaptist.com forward slash MIGCAST. If you're on iTunes, then please do rate us. It would be really helpful for us uh, just to let other folks know that we're out there. But most of all, thank you. Be safe. Take care of yourselves. Keep serving the local church. God is on the move and doing great things. Bless you all. I'm Glenn Innes. This has been the Midcast. We are out. You've been listening to the Midcast, a presentation of the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland.